Welcome to Feeding the Flock Season 9 and our summary message for the book of 2 Corinthians. We're going to begin our reading here in a moment in chapter 1, verse 3 through 7. And then we'll look at chapter 12, verse 19, and pull the whole book together before we're done. Hi, I'm Glendo Tony. I'm glad you joined me today. Why don't we begin reading verse 3 of chapter 1 of the book of 2 Corinthians. This is the prologue where Paul writes this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our afflictions so that we will be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For just as the sufferings of Christ are ours in abundance, so also our comfort is abundant through Christ. But if we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. Or if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which is effective in the patient enduring of the same sufferings which we also suffer. And our hope for you is firmly grounded, knowing that as you are sharers of our sufferings, so also you are sharers of our comfort. Now let's skip ahead to the epilogue in chapter 12, verse 19. I just want to read this verse. It says this, All this time you have been thinking that we are defending ourselves to you. Actually, it is in the sight of God that we have been speaking in Christ, and all for your upbuilding beloved. So by reading these two verses or these uh, two selections uh, in this book, you get the, the, uh, the sandwich, you might say, or the bookends of this particular letter that Paul wrote to the Corinthians. This is, this is a difficult letter for him to write, evidently, but he begins with comfort and he ends with, with upbuilding or building up. And that seems to kind of uh, uh, set the pace, you might say, or at least set the parameters of Paul's comments and his exhortations and everything else that he has to give to the Corinthians in this letter. This is a, a letter that comprises many different kinds of ideas, and yet it still is couched in this framework of comfort. And understand, of course, that comfort may include not just consoling someone in their pain, but also it might include the idea of challenging someone in their disobedience so that they can be relieved of that disobedience and of that guilt. So uh, if you look at it in those terms, then that is the uh, the framework by which Paul uh, says everything else in this book. Uh, he begins, of course, in the major sections, uh, talking about the explanation, the account of Paul the minister, 
And then he talks about the exhortation, the appeal of Paul the Father. And then finally, the vindication, which is the answer of Paul the Apostle. Now, in the idea of explaining Paul as a minister, as a servant of God, as a servant of the Lord's people and the Lord's words and the Lord's gospel, then he talks about and he addresses his changes, his commendation, his contrasts, and his courage. In the exhortation about uh, the appeal of Paul the Father, he talks about uh, his appeal for your cleansing, his appeal from his own confidence in them, as well as about the collection that he is sending this uh, this committee of people to help uh, make sure that this collection is is bundled together and is safely taken to the saints in Jerusalem. And then finally, his vindication includes his character, his conduct, his conflicts, and his credentials. So that is the major outline of this book, and that's a review, you might say, of the topics, the main ideas that Paul has to give us in the book of 2 Corinthians. Now, let's go into the passages themselves And I want to talk about Paul as an apostle or as a minister or as a father over the spiritual father, that is, over these people. And then I want to talk about the ministry of the Holy Spirit that Paul seems to acknowledge quite faithfully in the first several chapters of this book. Now, later, he he still talks or at least hints at the works of the Holy Spirit without naming him by name. He sort of keeps the Holy Spirit anonymous uh, after about uh, chapter 6, uh, starting in chapter 7 on through the rest of the book and until the very last phrase of the book where he talks about the fellowship of the Spirit. But but we'll get to that in a moment. In the meantime, I want to talk about Paul. Uh, I want to talk about the Holy Spirit. I want to talk about the encouragement or the comfort or the challenge that he gives to this congregation. So I have three things that I'd like to talk about in each one of these sections. And the section that includes his changes, his changes in a, in his itinerary, Paul talks about the fact that his itinerary may change, but his integrity in his ministry remains the same. He is not inconsistent. He He says that he does his ministry with holiness and godly sincerity. He and that's the way he characterizes his own ministry. He carries it out, uh, carries it out with this certain consistency, and he wants them to know from the very start that this was a part of his motivation. Uh, He he doesn't want to come in with corruption and and evil ideas or or underlying agendas that have not nothing to do with their comfort or with their upbuilding. And so that's the reason why he characterizes or describes his own ministry with holiness and godly sincerity. Now, the Holy Spirit is given credit in chapter 1, verse 22, that he has sealed us and gave us the Spirit as a pledge. And so God has sealed us with the Holy Spirit, and he's been given to us as a pledge. This is God's uh, 
promissory note, you might say, that he gives us. That's what the Holy Spirit does. It is kind of like God's engagement ring for Christ to be married to his bride one day. And that's what we are. We are already joined to Christ, uh, in uh, spiritually speaking, by the work of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit has pledged, and he himself is the pledge, that we will one day uh, meet Christ personally, one-on-one, so to speak, or as a church, as the bride of Christ, we will meet him in eternity and be joined to him. And the encouragement to this church in this section of in chapter 1 verse 24 says for in your faith you are standing firm now there was a lot to be desired in a lot of their other areas of their lives as a congregation and in their individual lives there's a lot of be a lot of things to be corrected and Paul is going to get to that later on in the book. But as far as their faith is concerned, their saving faith is still standing firm. They haven't denied the faith. They may be weak in certain areas, and they may have challenges in front of them. They may have even allowed themselves to to stand or at least to fall into um, uh, following the wrong crowd, but their faith has still remained the same as far as Paul is concerned, and he encourages them that way. Now, with Paul the minister and his commendation, he he wants them to know that he came to them with pure motives. What that means, excuse me, in chapter 2, verse 17, he did not come uh, peddling the word of God. He didn't treat the word of God as some sort of snake oil or some sort of uh, 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 carnival attraction that that if you if you pay a certain amount of money, then you get a certain kind of blessing. No, he's he's not talking about that at all. And he says, "I didn't come peddling God's word," and uh, he came with these pure motives of wanting to see the gospel be preached and salvation to be offered to this group of people at Corinth. And the Spirit of the Lord uh, is involved in this, and and Paul acknowledges that the Spirit of God has, has written a letter on tablets of the human heart. This isn't a document or a certificate that you print up or that you sign and and you seal with a compression uh, uh, grip uh, of a seal or with wax that you you put and you stamp it with somehow with a seal. This is not that kind of a, a document. This is the kind of document that the Spirit of God makes in the hearts of people. And Paul is confident that that is where his letter of commendation is, is written by the Spirit of God on human hearts. He acknowledges that in chapter 3, verse 3. In chapter 3, verse 5, he says the Spirit of God is the one who makes us adequate. Otherwise, we're completely inadequate. That's what Paul says. Also, the Spirit of God is is the very one who actually gives us life out of death. He gives us the life of Christ embedded in us, installed in us. We may not appreciate it. We may not tap into it. We may find ourselves being very inconsistent, but the life that we have in Christ comes by the work of the Holy Spirit. Also, in chapter 3, verse 8, 
uh, he talks about we carry on a ministry of glory. Where does that glory comes from? It comes from the Holy Spirit. And that is what Paul wants to acknowledge. The Holy Spirit gives us a message and a ministry of glory. And that Holy Spirit is transforming us into Christ's image, into his image, into the image that reflects the character of Christ. According to chapter 3, verse 18, the encouragement to the congregation is that being manifested that you are a letter of Christ, according to chapter 3, verse 3. That is Paul's encouragement to them. I'll say, okay, then let's go on to uh, chapter four. Uh, Paul talks about his contrast. His ministry is one of walking in craft. I'm sorry. It is not one of walking in craftiness or adulterating the word of God. So he's not about to, to trick people into believing something that isn't true. And, and, and so he doesn't belittle the word of God at all. He doesn't adulterate it with other philosophies and other ideas. He takes God's truth, God's words, and those are the things that he gives to his people without any adulteration or corruption. The Holy Spirit is the one in chapter 4, verse 13, that uh, provides saving faith so that we believe. And the congregation is encouraged that the Holy Spirit has embedded life in them, according to chapter 4, verse 12. So we'll be back right after this short break. Welcome back to this summary message of the book of 2 Corinthians. We're right now looking at chapter 5 and the first few verses of chapter 6. But chapter 5 is where Paul, as a minister, is talking about his own courage, uh, not trying to brag about himself, but rather to point to the fact that there are things that equip us. God himself equips us to do the things he's called us to do. Paul understands that his main function is to be that we persuade men, according to chapter 5, verse 11, and that this persuasion is a ministry of reconciliation in chapter 5, verse 18. We are those of us who, who uh, hold the gospel of Christ in our minds, in our hearts, in our hands, uh, you might say, that we become ambassadors for Christ. Chapter 5, verse 20. We have been installed with a message, and that message is to be proclaimed to others, shared with others, talked to or talked about with others. And uh, that that's what 
gives Paul his courage to do the things he has been called to do and go places he's never been before and face people he's never met before. The Spirit of God within him does that because he uh, sees himself as his job, as his min- as a minister, is to persuade men. Now, the Holy Spirit gave to us as a pledge, and he equips us to be servants of God. Chapter 5, verses 5 and 6. That's what the Holy Spirit does. He equips us for this service, for this ministry, for God. And that includes being an ambassador for Christ. And the believers at Corinth are reminded of their status in chapter 5, verse 21. says, he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. That's the message that we hold as ambassadors for him. We carry with us, chapter 5, verse 21, this message that God put Jesus on this earth for a purpose, a grand purpose, a humiliating purpose, but a purpose that included being judged as if he was a sinner being judged with our sin. He placed our sin upon his shoulders as he died on that cross and and God the Father's wrath was poured out upon Jesus, the wrath that we rightly deserved. And Jesus paid that penalty there. That's the message. And if you don't know that message, please respond with faith saying, Father, I realize that your son took my sin so that I could have his righteousness. I now trust that that is now applied to me in Jesus' name. Amen. You could pray that prayer, you see. Now, Paul begins in the middle of chapter 6, verse 11, in fact, his exhortation as a father, his work in the church is characterized by vulnerability and transparency. He says, our mouth uh, has spoken freely to you, O Corinthians. Our heart is open wide, according to chapter 6, verse 11. The Spirit of God is not named here, uh, from here on in this book until the very last phrase of the book, you might, book, you might say, uh, in the very uh, closing of the letter. Uh, but in the meantime, he he does uh, do his work, except that Paul just treats him anonymously, you might say. You have to look kind of between the lines to see the Spirit of God uh, as his work uh, in uh, as he carries it out in our lives, in this congregation's life. Uh, for we, and like chapter 6, verse 16, for instance, says, for we are the temple of the living God. Well, how did we become that temple? By the Holy Spirit taking up residence inside of us. When he lives in us by his power, he makes us his temple on earth. And that, in fact, is what Paul reminds the congregation about in chapter 6, verse 16, for we are the temple of the living God. As far as Paul's confidence 
that uh, he does. As a father here, he says, great is my confidence in you. In everything, I have confidence in you. That's good to know for a problematic congregation that's riddled with all sorts of difficulties and uh, all sorts of issues. You might say that some have tried to maybe sweep under the carpet, uh, and yet Paul has confidence in them. And this is a positive word that Paul has to give them. Chapter 7, verses 4, and again in chapter 16, he repeats the fact that he has confidence in this congregation. And uh, later on, he encourages the congregation uh, to respond with repentance and obedience. Uh, Chapter 7, verse 10, as well as verse 15, that is a part of the way the congregation has already responded with other uh, rebukes or or exhortations that Paul has given them. So if they've responded well before, then Paul has confidence they will continue with this same uh, consistent uh, obedience and this same consistent repentance of new things that may have come to the surface and Paul wants to encourage them. And then he goes in, into great lengths. In fact, he takes two chapters talking about the collection so that Uh, Paul says uh, about his own grace principles. He says that uh, the people of of Macedonia, the the churches of Macedonia, the northern part of Greece, they were begging us with much urging for the favor of participation in the support of the saints. Why? Because they had committed themselves to the Lord first. And then it was fairly easy, you might say, for them to be able to give money to the support of their fellow Christians all the way back in Jerusalem, the Jewish Christians back there. And uh, that's in chapter 8, verse 4. And of course, uh, Titus is is part of the, the head of this committee that is going to put this collection together. And uh, we recognize that here's one of the anonymous references to the work of the Holy Spirit in the heart of Titus, chapter 8, verse 16. Paul doesn't name him, but we have to know that this kind of zeal or this kind of commitment, this kind of earnestness uh, in uh, is what it's translated in uh, the New American Standard translation. The same earnestness on your behalf in the heart of Titus. Well, where did that come from? It didn't just come from Titus's flesh. No, it came from the Spirit of God, even though the Spirit isn't named necessarily. Now, it, uh, the congregation is encouraged in this section of giving. It says in chapter 9, verse 13, it talks about the saints in Jerusalem, the recipients of this gift. They will glorify God for your obedience to your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your liberality of your contribution to them and to all. So this would, will result in their worship. And Paul wants this congregation to know that the the worship of the Jewish believers back in Jerusalem will be, uh, will be uh, a wonderful thing because they have given to that work, to those needy people. And that is what Paul wants them to know. You are encouraged in your giving by what it will produce in the lives of other believers, and it will produce worship, and uh, they will glorify God on your behalf. Finally, the last 
a larger section is the vindication that Paul gives in defense of himself as an apostle to have this special authority. He already has a relationship with these people because of his fatherly attitude, because of his servant attitude. He has that relationship by bringing the gospel to them, but it's his authority that's being challenged by some of these outsiders that have come in, these troublemakers. Paul calls them false apostles. Well, Paul wants them to know what we are in word by letters when absent. Such persons we are also indeed when present in chapter 10, verse 11. So Paul is consistent in his character. If they need rebuke, he will be giving them rebuke. If he, if they don't need rebuke, then he doesn't just come in uh, with guns blazing, so to speak. He, he, he comes in gentle, just like they need gentleness and comfort. But if they need rebuke, he'll come in and, and give the rebuke and give the discipline. That's what he wants them to know. Now, uh, the believers at Corinth are reminded that they heard the gospel first from Paul, according to chapter 10, verse 14. He says, for we were the first to come even as far as you in the gospel of Christ. And if anything should make us apostles to you, then that should be the action that should nail this thing down. That uh, that we, since no one else was the first ones there, then that makes that gives a certain kind of edge, you would think. It, but yet, but yet, evidently, that edge is being lost, at least by a few in the Corinthian church. And so Paul wants to talk about his conduct in chapter 11. Uh, he preached the gospel with no fees attached. He didn't come with an honorarium expectation. He may have gotten something, but that that's not his expectation. In fact, he worked hard to make sure the truth of Christ was presented with love. He says, because I preach the gospel of God to you without charge. And Paul, in fact, that was in chapter 11, verse 7. In chapter 11, verse 13, he calls these people out as false apostles, deceitful workers. That's 11, verse 13. He had conflicts even within himself. And he talks about the fact that, that what I have to boast, I will boast with what pertains to my weaknesses. But he says, he says, I have He says, you tolerate all sorts of people. Surely you can tolerate my words to you. And then in chapter 12, he talks of his own credentials. And his credentials are his revelations, which include, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Yes, he was transported to the third heaven, he calls it, to paradise. Yes, he had that kind of experience, but what he really wanted to talk about is God's words of comfort, for power is perfected in weakness. Chapter 12, verse 9, and the real signs of a true apostle. He says, he, and he says, they were displayed in front of you, but he didn't create a list about those signs. Instead, he went straight to the fact that chapter 12, verse 15, the love was 
most gladly to spend and to be expended for your souls. That's the sign of my apostleship. That's the thing that Paul wants to write down and put it in this document to them, that my apostleship with you is based upon the fact that I was was spending myself and expending myself upon you. And he says, you were not entreated, treated with any inferiority to the rest of the churches, chapter 12, verse 13. So that is a summary of the entire book by looking at it from Paul's perspective, at his own ministry, at the congregation, and by the work of the Holy Spirit, which, by the way, he closes with that in 2 Corinthians chapter 13. Verse 14, he says, For the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. The Holy Spirit is the glue that puts it all together. He is the glue that puts us together in fellowship with one another, regardless of whether or not you can name him and his works or not. He is still doing that work of establishing our fellowship with each other, that relationship that comes only from God. Thank you, Father, that you create congregations, you create local churches that honor you with your word as ambassadors preaching the gospel and the words of Christ to those who need to hear it. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. I hope you enjoyed this presentation today. This is Glendal Tony. Join us again for the next episode of the next season of Feeding the Flock.